thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Blue, oh. purple, everybody knows. Oh, boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good morning, everybody. That's right. It is Monday, January 1st, and today is National Bloody Mary Day, National Hangover Day, National Thank God It's Monday. Oh, man. And of course, that's right, you guys. It is New Year's Day. Thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. You can look down below on your screen to see where we live on the Internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Rumble, Facebook, and Instagram. So welcome to any everyone joining us from any one of those platforms. But kicking it off, that's right. We have too cool for school today. What is going on with that cut? You look like you just rolled out of bed. Got the sleepy seeds in the eyes. Tasty. Yeah, that's right. With the bedhead, the dope dad himself. It is none other than Mr. Rico Lameet. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all know what time it is. It's time for these newses. <laughs> yes, we moved into our new studio. What do you think about this? How do you think this looks? I like that, Jason. What is that like it's like half, you know, like dungeon, half uh info wars. Oh. Um I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> so um ah, as we close the doors on 2023, the year of Jordan, <laughs> we mark our official entry into 2024, or as some might call it, the year of Kobe. One thing's for certain, new cannabis laws will be taking effect in several states across the U.S. From employment protections to, to packaging requirements, we've got the scoop. Scoop directly from marijuana's marijuana moments, Kyle Yeager, that is, for the article as of today. Um, Monday, new legislation will be affecting at least five states and... Um, of a big 2023 legislative session that's let us legislative session that saw major changes to marijuana laws throughout the country. Advocates are already gearing up for a fresh push to expand on reform achievements in 2024. But consumers, regulators, and stakeholders should also be mindful of the changes that are being implemented at the start of the year. Here's a rundown of 
the laws that will take effect today. California and Washington State implement cannabis-related workplace protections under two pieces of legislation signed into law in 2022 and 2023. California employers are now prohibited from asking job applicants about past cannabis use, and most are barred from penalizing employees over lawful use of marijuana outside of the... Can I give a applause for that, please? Please. There we go. Yes. About let me bring up old shit. <laughs> With certain exceptions, it is unlawful for an employer to request information from an applicant for employment relating to the applicant's prior use of cannabis. The separate complementary legislation that Governor Gavin Newsom signed in 2022 says is unlawful employees to discriminate against a person in hiring, termination, um, or any term or condition of employment or otherwise penalizing a person if discrimination is based upon off-duty marijuana use or drug tests that reveal cannabinoid um, metabolites. So Washington's legislation is limited to job applicants, um, but uh, Jay Inslee, Governor Jay Inslee noted before signing employers would still be able to maintain drug-free workplaces or prohibit the use of cannabis by workers after they are hired. Nevada's Possession limit more than doubles as businesses expand operations effective Monday. Uh, the marijuana possession limit for adults in Nevada will more than double to two and a half ounces. The recreational retailers begin, uh, become authorized to serve medical cannabis patients as well without a separate license. Can we get a round of applause for Nevada? Please, round of applause for coming into the future. Yes. All this liberalized laws, Jason, you gotta love it. You gotta love it. <laughs> so, so, so far, they sound so far they sound within reason. <laughs> within reason, so far, sure, so far. Also, it makes it so adult use marijuana retail will no longer have to uh, separate medical cannabis license to serve patients. Recreational retailers will automatically serve as licenses. So you know, more money, more money for them. Um, I can't help. Uh, you know, wonder if the medical only place is just going to be going out of business now. I guess it's more businesses for Planet 13 to gobble up. Mm -hmm. uh, Go Larry. <laughs> Shout out to Larry. Moving to my home state, Virginia. Virginia gets new marijuana regulatory body. Virginia lawmakers weren't able to pass on the implementation bill to provide for regulated marijuana sales by the new year, as advocates had hoped. But newly effective legislation does shift regulatory responsibility for the existing medical cannabis program to the Virginia Cannabis Control Authority, the CCA. Uh, the establishment of the CCA was required under 2021 legislation under former Democratic uh, Governor Ralph Northam, but we all know the story of how Glenn Youngkin came in there and messed up everything. And uh, now that they have, uh, both of the sides of the uh, Virginia government on the Democratic side, Maybe they'll get it right this time. Colorado marijuana must be labeled with use by date. I like that one, man. No more of that uh, stale weed out there in the uh, um, in Rockies. Um, as of Monday, cannabis products in Colorado must feature use by dates, indicating that the items are best if consumed in nine being packaged. The policy chain put forward by regulators in 2022 and year to adopt new standards. Stakeholders have Successful pushback on an initial proposal from the Colorado Marijuana Enforcement excuse me, Division require a more limited month use by date. 
What do you think about that? Um, the new rule comes effective on the 10 year anniversary of the nation's first legal adult use marijuana sales in Colorado on January 1st, 2014. And then finally, Oklahoma. Oklahoma's Meth cannabis industry sees multiple regulatory updates. Several new laws take effect in Oklahoma on Monday to affect the state's medical marijuana market. That includes one measure that authorizes Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority, the OMMA, or OMA, to hire secret shoppers that can discreetly carry out oversight activities such as investigating regulatory compliance at cannabis businesses and providing samples from dispensaries to quality assurance. Watch out, Oklahomans. They got the snitches out there, and they're getting paid by the state. So this is Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street. And yes, happy year, everybody. Hopefully, hope you guys abide by the new cannabis laws. And if not, you guys know the trap will always win. So, so true. So, so true, Rico. The trap is always going to win. And I think all these laws sound within reason for the most part. I think it's going to end up uh, benefiting patients, benefiting the cannabis community overall. So, so, so far, they all sound crazy or don't sound crazy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) New law. I'm kind of in a yes, but mood. And here's my yes. Um, While I agree that we want the freshest cannabis product. I have challenges with this nine month cliff in Colorado because for example, if I manufactured gelatin gummy and the primary ingredients were gelatin, sugar, and distillate, I don't know why there's a month cliff for that product to be sold. I think that the expiration of product should be based on what type of product it is and not just a flavor. And that means that you're compressing the supply chain and the amount of time that uh, we can go from manufacturing to distribution retail and to sales. And I haven't heard a compelling public policy reason why six months in Colorado is the cutoff for a gum. I've heard of a product recall where a gummy that was six months and one day old was consumed and somehow something terrible happened to the consumer slash user. So I just do think that while it appears reasonable on its face, this is to me an example of overregulation because if the manufacturer is able, consumers can choose through their purchases and their purchasing behavior uh, how much emphasis they want to put on freshness of all cannabis products. Yeah. I, I, so you're saying there should be a cutout for uh, certain less than perishable items? It just doesn't make any sense. It's not based on science and it's not based on some compelling public need. Hey, you know what, y'all? You have some good points there. I'm not mad at that. Not not mad at that coming back. Um, that that does make that does make a lot of sense. S- six months, I agree with you. Like like there's there, there's candy that you purchase in the store that has gelatin that has that that sits on the shelf for probably like a year and a half at a time. It's like weed in New York. <laughs> That's not funny because it's fun. Um, it's not funny when it's true, real. huh? It's not funny when it's true. <laughs> <laughs> of truthiness yes the thing that just comes up for for me is show me why we need this show me what the killing argument was and show me the science and data behind a six-month cliff for a sugar-based edible and if you can't show me any of that tell me why we need more regulation i know why reek i know i I know why i know why yarrow because because I, i don't know if you've been watching the trends but there has been a major major uptick of the Karen population entering Colorado. 
No, they really have. <laughs> they drove they drove Lauren Bober into a new district. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I know a lot of other places we could drive her as well, but let's not get too political too soon, too early this morning. Why not? Uh, right? again, it's the first I of the year. Colorado's a very mature market. Is that, Colorado, is that what you call that? Uh, That's what you call that, a mature market, huh? Interesting. Yeah, market, <laughs> and this doesn't seem like it's an incredibly data-driven policy. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like going for mature, sir, sometimes, so you know, switch it. Mm -hmm. You have any thoughts on this, Chris? What do you think about these, uh, these, these born-on dates? I was just looking at um, – I was just looking at uh, – the gummies that I have right now, it's got a manufacturer date, purchased in California. It's got a best before date, which is 12 months out. Uh, so I agree with the comments here that, you know, what's the data behind, you know, this arbitrary six months? And I think, you know, I don't have the answer. I don't produce right. I'm uh, somebody with, with the knowledge that understands, you know, what best practices are uh, absolutely should be chime in and have a say here. And I'm sure like a lot of, uh, laws you know people who actually know the answer were not consulted maybe mm -hmm. well and, and, and let the market decide i mean i mean, let I the mean market decide. if a consumer comes in and goes i really need that new new gummy but the, you know because sometimes when you get red vines you can tell when they get a little older out of it right let the market decide let the consumer with that transparency around manufacturing date allow their purchasing power to dictate how how long a gummy stays on the shelf if that gummy doesn't have perishable product in it? You, you know, just you know, to play devil's advocate. You know, some people like old dusty bottle weed that's been oh, gross. for two years. So ratchet, bro. So, <laughs> so ratchet. Uh, uh, Yarrow, you know that uh, brings up a good point. You know, I think the only ingredient that it differs from traditional gummies to cannabis gummies is going to be cannabis distillate. So I'm just I'm I'm really. I'm really excited that I got a new wrinkle in my brain now because I just learned that cannabis distillate expires after six months, apparently. What I do know is that it doesn't. And <laughs> single-digit degradation to potency. Mm -hmm. um, and beyond that, what the cannabis industry has been screaming for for as long as the cannabis industry has had the ability to scream is this notion that it should be like any other industry. And I can't see how this aligns with that. Yeah. Well, you remember the old vapes that we used to have? We used to be huffing crudes. Yeah, people had no day. clue how long how long those had been. <laughs> exactly. None of, a, a, none of us are dead. Could have had a four-year-old vape <laughs> and still wouldn't have known the difference. I can honestly say you cannot use we statements because the Sebastopolian Florida man has never huffed on a crude ass vape cart. Never had one of those open vapes. Oh come on, bro! I'm sure you have at some NCIA cannabis event or something. I'm I'm sure you've been sitting over no, there. that's why sitting I in one of those rooms. I always brought a trademark canagar, something big, fat, loud with a thick gauge. It's an amazing flower. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but yeah, but you yeah, can't you can't smoke inside the conference, Yarrow. So you're telling me that you didn't smoke uh, the whole time at the conference? He used to take a heavy pull of heavy metal and, and crude oil. Exactly. That's how Ooh, I get it. taste a little grape in there. Big old, big old dab of vitamin E acetate. <laughs> no, sir. Never. <laughs> Rest in peace. Oh, man. Oh, that, was, that was fun. Thank you so much for covering that today, uh, Rico. We're going to roll right into a commercial. We're going to be right back. 
How's it going guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. while they're still consumable, but they're past that date in a way that allows them the benefits of a robust write-off program, in which yep. case, then I'm all for it because PTSD doesn't give a fuck if your gummy is seven months old. Yeah, you hear PTSD don't give a F. Yarrow it's like the honey Cooper. badger. It's like the honey badger. <laughs> the honey badger. <laughs> the yes. money badger is what they call me. <laughs> Coming up next. Getting all that Coming happy cabbage, huh? Rocking in. Yeah, yeah, rocking us into a brand new year. The man, the myth, the legend, known for smoking the best weed in the world. But also, mm-hmm. West Hollywood's most infamous cannabis tourism. I'm the president again. I'm the president again this year, Rico, just so you know. You got reelected. I got it, yeah, it, I'm it, the president again I, this year. Yeah, I think there should be there should be a count. I heard the Smartmatics. It was actually, Smartmatic machines using West Hollywood uh, voting. It was actually tabulation. it was funny because it was actually a unanimous vote. I'm calling Linwood. It was actually a unanimous. I'm vote. calling Linwood, and he's taking you to court. Y'all know who it is, Jason Beck. Linwood is good for going to court. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Good afternoon, everybody. Good morning, everybody here on the West Coast. Man, oh, man, you guys. So, you know, this is the start of a new year. Many people like to start new things and new new things. And, and you know what? There's a new career popping up for people in Connecticut, you guys. Okay? Because Connecticut is going to hire a cannabis watchdog whose salary would range from 88 Point seven thousand dollars to one hundred and sixty one point six thousand dollars a year. You guys, that's right. Pull out your applications because you have today off. Because the Connecticut's Office of Healthcare Advocate is looking for a cannabis uh, ambuds person to monitor the medical marijuana industry in the state. The job offering the salary between $88,710 and $161,639 annually was posted on December 23rd, just before the six-month mark of Public Act number 23 through 79, which the Connecticut General Assembly passed on June 26th. The law, an act concerning cannabis regulations called the creation of the um, um ombudsperson office in section 49 interesting they're calling him an ombudsman the proponent uh, the, the the appointed individual must be familiar with the palliative use of marijuana and the medical cannabis system the act states and the job posting accepting applications until january 23rd also states that have appointed uh, ombudsmans must represent the interest of patients and caregivers and monitor and analyze the state's industry the ombudsperson or ombudsman will also be responsible for recommending any changes to the development and implementation of federal, state, and local laws, regulations, and other government policies and actions concerning the health, safety, and welfare and rights of qualifying patients and caregivers. In quotes, we had to work with some of our partners at the Department of Administration Services, which oversees the human resources functions uh, for the state, as well 
well as the Office of Policy and Management, which deals with making sure there's a budget for it and how much that person is going to pay, King said. Those details aren't spelled out in the June law, creating an entirely new position, office, and job class. Took time and collaboration, King said. The law states that the ombudsman's office is the health care advocate's office for administrative purposes only. King said once appointed, the ombudsman would uh, act outside the OHA. In quotes, it's technically a completely separate office from us, King said. While we have the authority to appoint the ombudsman, that person is re- is really largely acting independent of anything that the Office of Healthcare Advocates does, he said. In that part, it is why the OHA was ideal for appointing the ombudsman. In quotes, my understanding is that there was an interest in having it placed or associated with an agency that has some independence from outside political pressures, King said. And because our office uh, fits that description, they assigned us the responsibility of having some administrative oversight. Lou Rindali, a, a citizen activist, a citizen cannabis activist and a system engineer at Yale University in New Haven said the six-month gap between the law's passing and the job's posting was too delayed. In quotes, I would have liked to have uh, seen it sooner rather than later, and I would also like to see it a little bit more publicly for the job posting, Rinaldi said. Rinaldi, who, uh, publicly, who is publicly skeptical of the state's cannabis administration and quality testing on his LinkedIn profile, said he hopes the appointed... Uh, ombudsperson brings passion to the role and holds the industry accountable (laughs) wonder what that's going to mean but Rinaldi's uh worried the appointment could bring controlled opposition or sound and fury signifying nothing he said quoting the the uh, Shakespearean Macbeth But Zach's uh, chief operating officer and cannabis company fine fettle said the position in a is a step in the right direction and he's been the state's cannabis market uh, and and he's seen the state's cannabis market increase offerings from adult use customers over the past year in quotes medical market and patient populations have changed since adult use happened zach said and according to retail sales data uh from the state medical cannabis sales have been trending down since march while adult use sales have increased month over month since the market opened this past january until november's most recently published data. Though Rinaldi said the six-month lapse between the public's act of passing the ombudsman posting was too long, Zach disagreed and said it takes time. In quotes, you need to create the job description, you need to post it online, you need to get it in the budget, it needs to be added to a team's budget the, f- the fine federal COO said, he also said, there's hopes that you go through even as a private company, right? If you decide, oh, we need to hire a retail manager, we don't post that job the next day, he says. Well, 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 Connecticut's looking for an ombudsman. What do you guys think about this? Oh, Enrico has his Happy New Year cap on. Look at this. This guy's still turning up. Where's the champagne, Rico? <laughs> What do y'all think about this? Life in me no place I turn but up, Jason. Mm-hmm. I, I see. <laughs> I can tell. This is just a made-up position? <laughs> like, are you like a, a, a snitch from one side of the government to the other? I mean, it's <laughs> I crazy, still, right? I read, this, I read this article three times. I read this article three times this morning. And I still don't really fully understand 
like where the uh, ombudsman's power is best used or is it just a position where they're just it's, it's a title and then i the, feel like it's just a title I feel like yeah, it's how how broad salad. Yeah, this it's like it's, it's, it's like practically doubled. Yeah, it's like practically like doubled, bro. Like, what what is going on? Like, you guys can't figure out what the salad, what the job is worth, or like, are you looking for like someone with certain some certain type of experience, and based on that experience, they're gonna get the higher pay or the lower pay, or like, what what is going on over here? I don't know. They're just trying to be everybody to every everything to everybody, kind of like Nikki Haley. Oh boy, it's the warmonger. Uh, Chris Eggers, quick question for you. Um, in all your time in law enforcement and you seeing different law enforcement postings, have you ever seen something with a wage gap this disparaging? I have not. Uh, I have not. Oh, you know, we're looking at double, right? I mean, like, I, I'm with you. Who we attract? Who are we trying to attract here? How are we going to decide who's going to make? 80 versus 160 something. I think it's all over the map. I mean, it's pretty telling right there. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. Very telling. I mean, this is, this is crazy, crazy, crazy to me, but what, what, what else? Are we There's gonna... also, I mean, you know, obviously it's hard to hate again, title role that includes the word, but in it, um, it's also hard to, 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 to cast any wrongness with, uh, independent authors. Offices are ideally designed to hold other stakeholders accountable. That wide range in salary is troubling because it doesn't seem to me that they would understand what are the most important qualifications and how to find all their value to that within a you know a, a government compensation structure. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm just we've we've seen steady drumbeats of news that we've covered here on the show about important roles that get filled and then people are quickly exiting stage left uh, in, in a variety of different markets. And so my hope would be not that we focus on the months that it took to post up, but on what the process is where they're going to determine who's qualified to take this role so that there isn't turnover at an important, uh, uh, at an important position. And uh, I'd like to see what their vision is in terms of the qualifications uh, who would earn 160 versus 80. And then my other hope would be that in an important role like this, if you have such a wide range of salary, that we are really trying to find the most qualified person for the most amount of money and not trying to pick somebody at the lower end of the range merely because they're less experienced. It seems like these roles deserve to have very qualified people in those spots. And while it's great that they have a a two X rank, uh, well, Yaro, I, I, think, I think it's pretty eighty thousand dollars. Pretty simple. I think it's pretty simple. If if you are a white male, then you're going to be close to one eighty, and if you are black, brown, or woman, you're probably going to be closer to that eighty one thousand. <laughs> oh man, come on, Rico, you're so cynical, bro. This is a wokey state, bro. This is a wokey state in Connecticut. <laughs> You know, it's probably reversed. It's probably if you're white, you're going to get the 80,000. But it doesn't matter because you're probably like 200,000 bonuses. <laughs> I mean, hey, did, did you did you ever see that 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 movie where um it was like it was like some like super elite uh uh special forces is but they weren't like really special forcemen. They were more like like mythical uh mystery seekers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the Avengers. 
it's something something like that. Something some, it wasn't the Avengers the movie that I'm thinking of, but it was something like that. It was but I will tell you this, this is very interesting because I feel like this name is just sounds like they're trying to make some superhero character, an ombudsman. Ombudsman. Yes, ombudsman. This is annoying. Yeah, you know, we can all the trends that are prioritized. We understand uh, whether they pull the car and the whole uh, can you in the system. And it would be nice to see uh, that they understand what this whole, uh, what those qualifications should be. Should it be someone with public administration degree? Maybe. Should it be somebody previous? Uh, Regulatory experience may be someone who has a legacy understanding of an injury that is now trying to be regulated. Absolutely. How do they how do they put that for the term of the qualification? And if they do that, they to, to my cohort point, you know, Rico, if they put some emphasis on leg experience, that's a a colorblind way of prioritizing communities probably have more experience than not. Um, and ultimately, if you're going to be regulating the industry, uh, understanding the origin of the industry before one property darn important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shout out to the, the first uh, oddsman. <laughs> the old job has a Whatever the hell that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Mm-hmm. Say it again. I, I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you, bro. I couldn't hear you. I apologize. What'd you say? You good? We going into halftime? We going into commercial? Oh shit! I'm, oh, I'm, no, right? I'm I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We're we're trying. We're, we're, we had a little problem with our internet this morning over here, and so we're just working through a couple technical difficulties, making sure that the best user experience is possible for everyone watching at home. So we, I do apologize. Coming up next, it is the Sepastopol Sage. That's right. He's known as the Florida Man of Santa Rosa. It is Mr. Yaro Kubrin who does cannabis real estate and cannabis and real estate he can put two and two together and make a pb and j that's right it is the sebastopol sage mr yarrow kubrin good morning i had nine news viewers welcome to 2024 super excited to kick off the new year especially being a part of this exciting daily news show my article today uh, is one that's near and dear to my heart uh, because it's about free speech. So, without further ado, this is Yaro Kubrin, High at Nine News, Monday morning. Federal lawsuit challenges Mississippi's ban on marijuana advertising, citing free speech rights. If you go to Walgreens and fill prescription for an opioid, and Walgreens can advertise, why can't True Source and other cannabis dispensaries and cultivators in Mississippi? Mississippi's medical cannabis advertising ban is preventing a small dispensary from attracting customers. True source owner Clarence Cocroft is arguing in a federal lawsuit that costs that casts the law as a violation of his free speech. Though medical marijuana is now legal and for Mississippians with qualifying conditions and a medical cannabis card, state law prohibits dispensary owners and cultivators from advertising cannabis products. 
It's a daunting task to stay in the industry when you can't advertise, Cocroft told the Mississippi Free Press on December 8th. It's legal. If they allow you to get licensed, they should allow you to promote your business. Cocroft owns True Source, the state's first Black-owned medical cannabis dispensary located in Southeast Industrial Zoning Area of Olive Branch, Mississippi. Cocroft and his dispensary filed a lawsuit on November 14th against officials in charge of the regulation Mississippi State Department of Health, the Mississippi Department of Revenue, and the Mississippi Alcohol Beverage Control Bureau. To open a medical cannabis shop in the state, a person must apply for a dispensary license, register for a sales tax permit, and pay thousands of dollars in fees. A person must have a medical cannabis card and be over at the age of 21 to enter the spree. The fight was, okay, we're paying you all these taxes. We're abiding by all the rules that you have set forth, and all we're asking for is simple. Allow us to advertise and to increase your tax rate as a state, Cocroft said. True Source, True Source relies on its website, word of mouth, and signs posted on the building for advertising. Cocroft cannot advertise its dispensary or its website on any other advertising medium. The owner said many customers would not have known about the store if they had not by area. It's not just me and my location that cannot advertise, he said. It's every location in Olive Branch. It's every dispensary in DeSoto County and all 80 counties, Cocross said. A no-win situation for the cannabis industry. The Institute for Justice, IJ, a national libertarian and non is representing Clarence Cocroft in the lawsuit. One of the Cocroft's attorneys, Katrine Marquez, said IJ looks at commercial free speech regulations and advertising laws through the lens of the First Amendment and how different regulations on advertising really hamper people's business. What's really important here is that Mississippi already regulates things like advertising to children and making false medical claims. So we think these regulations make sense, she told the Mississippi Free Press on December 8th. The state of Mississippi can keep that. What can't do is blatantly say you can't advertise at all. When he and his family opened True Source, Cocroft brought billboards in the North Mississippi area to his dispensary, but he had to lease the spaces to other businesses, including a casino that could legally showcase their products to the public. The business owner said the lawsuit and subsequent reporting have brought in new customers each day, but he is still not reaching his fullest potential customer base, despite about 30,000 Mississippians having a medical cannabis card. Before the lawsuit, he said he was seeing about 15 to 20 patients a day, most being returned customers. But now, about 20 to 30 people stop by TrueSource each day to pick up their medical cannabis products, Cocroft said. The medical cannabis advertising ban does not only affect dispensary owners, he said. If dispensaries cannot sell the products on the shelves, they will not buy as much from cultivators who in turn will also lose money. It's a no-win situation for the cannabis industry of Mississippi, Cocroft said. He said that investing in the Mississippi medical cannabis industry has cost dispensary owners, cultivators, and testing companies millions of dollars in the name of helping patients, all while their owners learn how to operate a type of business that is brand new in the state. You become your own entrepreneur in a business that has criminalized so many people, and now, since it's legal in the state, why not, Cocroft said. Congress passed, and former President Barack Obama signed the Robacher-Farr Amendment in 2014, banning the U.S. Department of Justice from spending federal funds to prosecute medical marijuana operations in states that have medical cannabis programs. The federal government does not enforce medical marijuana laws state by state, instead letting the states control how their citizens access the plant. No state or federal law justifies the censorship in this case, Marquez says. One main reason why IJ is defending Clarence Cogcroft's case is because it could set a precedent for other kinds of legal businesses that the government strictly regulates, she said. We understand that these businesses can be more harshly regulated than, say, a donut shop. We don't think it makes sense to treat medical marijuana worse than any other similar business, Marquez said, mentioning the alcohol industry, casinos, and strip clubs. 
Cocroft also questioned why the alcohol industry, medication companies, casinos, and strip clubs can advertise their products and services to the entire state, but he cannot advertise his dispensary or medical cannabis products. If you go to Walgreens and you fill a prescription for an opioid and Walgreens can advertise, why can't True Source? he asked. This is Yaro Kubrin, High at Nine News, Monday morning, January 1st, 2024. I'd like to know what you guys think. I like this. I like this lawsuit. I am a big, big skeptic when it comes to using the courts and lawsuits. And typically the lawsuits we're seeing are people whining and complaining or suing each other. This is a perfect example of why the courts exist and why they're a fantastic venue to get some sober resolution on regulations that don't make any sense. And I'm so proud of this guy, as well as the organization that picked up this case. And what I especially love is he can't advertise, but the lawsuit itself is a form of advertising. So win, lose, or draw, he has created massive awareness for his dispensary. And I'm so excited and can't wait for the courts to tell Mississippi that their rules are a broad overreach that are inconsistent with the Constitution. Isn't this the same guy that we covered a while ago that was filing the same lawsuit about the billboards? Is it? I think this might be. I forget. I was too busy applying to be the Omnibudsman of Connecticut. I'm not mad at that, bro. I'm not mad at that, bro. Get that 180, 160,000 a year. I saw I saw an ad for I saw an ad on that for uh, on on Backpage. I just I, I just feel like I just feel like if you're named the Ombudsman, you need to be a comic book character at Comic Con. Omnibudman. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have a logo on your chest. For exactly. Sure. And so most regulators have a bullseye on their back instead of a logo on their chest. So that would still be. Well, they do. Uh, they do have a logo on their chest because they generally wear around a badge that has their ID with a logo for what agency they work for. To the lanyard as yeah. a, as a yeah. uniform. See, 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 Chris, Chris, Chris knew that. Chris, <laughs> I saw that, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> 21 Jump Street on that ass. Yes. So back to this article. I mean, look. This notion that they can't communicate to the public uh, through conventional channels. Uh, mm -hmm. Show me the public policy rationale for this. That's all. Yeah, yep. and, there, and there there is none. And uh, cannabis companies nationwide should be able to advertise their businesses, period. I agree with that. I'm sorry. It sounds like both of you are taking a common sense approach to this topic, and that's Get out crazy. of here. I, tell me about it. There's, isn't it crazy that common sense is 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 winning? And you're airing this, Jason. This is wild. Uh, yeah, this is like, like 2024. We're, we're we're turning a new leaf, if man, you will. I'll tell you what, man. We need some propaganda, okay? So we're gonna go to a commercial. And we're gonna come right back. Did you get one of those? Disney oh, you got World something stories, to say, Yara, real quick? One more. Yeah, so I did a little World bit of World research World. on the organization that picked up this case because I wanted to see if they had a particular bias or they were just tokenizing this gentleman and his issue. Uh, tokenizing him, huh? Wasn't disclosed, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I was pleased to see that this organization has been around for decades and decades and does have a track record of pushing libertarian issues. Sometimes the word libertarian is actually code for conservative. But in this case, it does look like they are very much just supporting free speech and state rights. And so I'm very, very hopeful that this gentleman prevails. And remember, libertarianism is anarchy. Oh, boy. Oh, geez, Louise. You know, on that, we're going to a commercial. We're going to be right back. 
The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The control tower from Highly Educated. All right, stop whatever you're doing. Do us a favor, do yourself a favor and YouTube a favor and go ahead and smash that like button. Also, make sure that you're subscribed to the channel if you have not subscribed to the channel already. And all of the articles that we cover on today's show, you can read on our website at www.highatnightnews.com. I'm Jason Beck, and this is Smoky Vanilla. And if you want to feel as good as I look, then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with Smoky Vanilla. That's right, baby. I'm Smoky Vanilla with my background in kinesiology. I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport or the legends of the chronic in the game, baby. Oh, Yee! yeah, you know what it is. We just stretched and now we're gonna smoke because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go. Yee! Sure. All right. So um, up next, oh, we got yes. a fellow dope dad who's a former police officer, traded in his issue gun and badge for a blunt and a notepad. It's my uh, absolute pleasure to talk about and bring this former athlete to the stage as well. Chris Edgar has got an important one for us today. Is that because he was a track you, Rico, you, uh, I was going to say, Rico, I appreciate you recognizing track as a sport and classifying me as an athlete uh, who participated in that sport. Thank you. <laughs> was that, especially what? long distance runners man you guys are some of the most important fools uh, on the team you guys uh put up so many points at the, the the track meets and everything is that is that from being a narcotics officer that you're calling him a track star yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's running the streets uh -huh, exactly well my article uh today comes out of Oakland, California, a story that many people um, are likely familiar with, given the media coverage around it. Um, the particular article I'm going to read from is from Fox KTVU News, and the headline reads, Oakland police officer shot and killed in the line of duty. This was uh, last Friday. Uh, an Oakland officer was responding to a burglary at what has only been described uh, in various media outlets as a cannabis facility um, in the 400 block of the Embarcadero in Oakland, California. Um, I have some knowledge about this this uh, story in this case, um, but I'm going to go ahead and, and just read a little bit from this article. Um, sources have confirmed with KTV News at least two suspects have been arrested uh, in the early morning burglary that preceded the death of an Oakland officer. Oakland police sources uh, tell KTV News that multiple arrests have been made in connection with the burglary. They say that they expect more arrests will be made, but at this time, there's no official word that the person who fired the gun that killed Officer Lee has been arrested. 
Lee was killed early Friday when intercepting a burglar at a cannabis dispensary on 4.45 a.m. in the 400 block of Embarcadero. That's near 9th Avenue. Uh, he was then pronounced dead at Highland Hospital in Oakland at 8.44 a.m. Um, city leaders, city departments across the state have shared condolences over Lee's killing. Um, a little bit of background about this incident. Um, Officer Lee had approximately four years on and was assigned to a specialized unit. He was responding to a burglary, um, and from information that has been reported and information from folks that I know uh, within law enforcement, this particular facility was uh, broken into and burglarized around one in the morning. Um, and then media outlets had reported that law enforcement secured the facility, and that can mean different things, and happy to go down that rabbit hole if anyone cares to. but. Then the dispensary, well, they're calling it a dispensary in this article, but I'm not really sure if that's the case, and I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to put out any official word, but they then responded back to the facility when it was being hit a second time, and that's when Officer Lee responded. Uh, he was working in plain clothes in an unmarked car, and as suspects fled, they fired multiple shots, uh, striking Officer Lee. Um, that's, that's the story that I'm sharing today. Um, you know, this obviously brings up uh, you know, a lot of different conversations and a lot of different viewpoints. You know, I'm thankful that we have this platform um, to discuss it. I'm thankful that we have correspondents that have different points of views um, and different optics around the story. Uh, I'm also thankful, Jason Beck, for reaching out and allowing me to uh, contribute today and share the story. Uh, I am former OPD. I worked there from 2008 to about 2014. Um, and then I went to San Francisco PD. But I didn't know Officer Lee myself. Uh, a lot of uh, former o OPD officers that I uh, reached out to do, you know, do and and, and did know him. Um, it's reported that Officer Lee was from uh, Saigon uh, originally, and then moved into Oakland. He's actually from Oakland, um, and this is the first uh, Oakland officer lost since to uh, Mark Dunnigan, John Heggie, uh, Irv Romans, and Dan Sakai uh, back in two thousand nine. Man, it's a sad story, man. It's such a, glad, such glad a we got to hear story. from your perspective. Yeah, uh, too, uh, Chris. <laughs> but um, there's, there's, there's levels, there's level like layers to this one, man. You know, an Asian immigrant protecting a black business, going down in the line of duty, and um, we hear a lot about you know the the inaction of uh, police officers, especially in uh, Northern California, and then you have a story like this. It really hits home, man. So. Mm -hmm. Big love out to um, uh, out to the police officers' family and friends out there in the whole Oakland community. I know everybody's reeling from this one. One one hundred percent. And and you know you, you one has to wonder too what the, this is going to do to the overall morale in the police force when it comes to uh, in, in enforcing. Like this is the first time that they actually, to my knowledge, that they actually chased a, a suspect uh, from from uh, any of these types of cannabis facilities and any of these types of burglaries that have been uh, menacing the cannabis industry for a number of years now. And so, yeah. you know, Chris, I mean, it, it has to like lower the morale. I mean, I, I think I think in the in that article or in another article, the, uh, the 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 police chief was saying, hey, you know what, city of Oakland, you should probably get rid of all of your cannabis businesses because because uh, we, we, we can't protect them. You know, I've always said a couple of things to respond to your question. Yeah, morale is going to be affected here. Um, but again, I think I've said this before multiple times, and I really do believe that that we have we have a, a retail theft problem in the country. We have a retail burglary problem in the country. We have a retail robbery problem in the country. It is not specific to cannabis. You know, uh, 
near Lake Merritt, a 7-Eleven guard um, was recently shot and killed, uh, armed guard. So, you know, people are targeting businesses with things within them that they consider valuable. I mean, even the French laundry was hit years back, right? So if it's valuable, people will come for it, period. This is, you know, one of my hesitations to share stories around crime within the cannabis community is I don't want the naysayers to be able to pick up and say, aha, see, cannabis brings in all, all these problems. I, I don't, you know, I'm a subject matter expert in cannabis security, and I don't believe that that to be true. Um, these facilities have, you know, various requirements um, that other uh, retail businesses, commercial businesses don't have, and they have, you know, specifically, let's look at security camera systems that law enforcement absolutely does rely on uh, to investigate crimes unrelated to cannabis. You know, I'll give, I give hit and run as an example all the time. Um, and I encourage cannabis businesses to keep a log anytime they interact with law enforcement and provide uh, value to them. So, you know, that's part of my hesitation with sharing st stories around uh, crime and, and things like that in the industry. However, you know, it is a prevalent problem in this industry as well and needs to be addressed. And there's multiple ways to, to do that, in my opinion. Uh, my hope is that municipalities uh, will take a hard look at how they spend and distribute grant dollars um, that are meant to bring value to these small business owners, period, that are struggling on multiple fronts. Uh, respectfully, uh, some folks struggle with understanding where to spend money, you know, and what's a good um, you know, investment, you know, people are not security experts and they don't know. Um, and so I've seen people spend, you know, copious amounts of money and it bring no value. Um, I've also seen municipalities be irresponsible with grant funds, uh, and how they, not only how they distribute them, but the barriers to entry that they create in order to just get your hands on the funds. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot to unpack here and, you know, we've got 10 minutes left in the show and I don't want to bogart the conversation, but I will just say again, my hope is that municipalities uh, really take a hard look at the resources that they have and how they can distribute those resources to business owners uh, to uh, prevent these types of things from happening. So I'd like to take a quick little stab at this. So first of all, you know, my deepest condolences, not only to the Oakland Police Department, the Oakland community, Tuan Lee, his family, uh, but also uh, to the cannabis industry, which we like to say cannabis has never killed anybody. Um, uh, but here is a, 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 a the byproduct of a regulated industry that is, is, is now uh, become systemically targeted uh, for property crimes. Um, and so there's no winners in this. Um, it is true that there has been cries from the industry around law enforcement generally being under-responsive to some of these property crimes. And here's a perfect example of uh, why, if you were a law enforcement uh, line staff, you know, the number one rule is to come home alive. Uh, it, it is also true that um, there doesn't seem to be a state database, and I've heard this from the police in Santa Rosa and the chief there, that these crimes tend to be committed by professionals, roving bands of marauders that go from market to market, and that right. the methods for these crimes are not being uh, uh, accumulated at a state level to allow local law enforcement to tap in and to understand trends that might affect their areas. The other thing that I think is a real problem is we don't have any visibility about where the money that is 
uh, realizes local tax revenue, where it's being spent in respects to loss prevention and law enforcement. And so when you have clusters of cannabis businesses like you have in Oakland, like you have in Santa Rosa, like you have in Los Angeles, if we can't see that the tax revenue that's being collected in those markets is being spent on loss prevention in those markets, that's a real problem. And so not having a state repository, a database that's facilitated through the DCC and that supports local law enforcement shows us that there's ample room for improvement. And hopefully we can avoid things like this ever happening again. It's also in the same breath, a uh, something that newer adult use markets need to be paying attention to. This is a mature market issue. And if we can take the know-how and the painful lessons that have resulted from some of these incidents, and we can apply those to markets that haven't yet experience this kind of loss prevention, I think that could be a really valuable thing that California can lead the charge on. You know, um, <clears throat> a lot of great points there, uh, Yaro. Um, and the one thing I do want to say is there's always a, um, a risk that comes with that job. Also, you know, you might go home or you might not make it home. Uh, the same goes for, uh, for folks that sign up, get enlisted and uh, join the military. So um, I hate to, um, um, I'm not trying to minimize anything about what happened, but on the flip side of that, like this part of the job too, right? Um, if, if when you're donning that, that gun and badge, like there's, there is a chance that you might not go home. You might not see your family again. So I um, just want to give out that's some big love to everybody who has the courage to, you know, put on that uniform. And I, I don't think that this should be I don't think it should be ever be a morale buster or something to put uh, put down any morale when you choose to operate as a police officer. So um, I always like, kind of cringe when I hear that. Like, oh, yeah, this, uh, I'm gonna kill morale. Yeah, this is why cops don't like go in and do their job. Like that's what your job is to do. Your job is to mm -hmm. serve and protect. And I agree right, with that. I agree with that. Put on that uniform. And I would say Rico. Signing up for that. That's what you're committing to when you go into law enforcement or any kind of public service job. You know, um, <clears throat> of course, this is really, and by the way, sorry, I'm late, but it's New Year's Day and it was Luke's first yeah. one out. And so we were turn up incredibly yeah. late. Yeah. <laughs> Slept right through the alarm. Yeah. It's a fancy wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like but it. I'm here. So happy New Year, everybody! Happy I feel like, you're, I feel like um, the shirt or the robe you have on like matches my hat. <laughs> yes, it actually would go perfectly and cover up my bedhead, but oh, you know, boy. whatever. Um. Anyway, uh, first of all, yes, condolences. This is like a horrible, horrible situation to have happen. Um, I dare I say it though. I think. These kinds of dynamics, that kind of tragedy, you can have positive experiences and you you learn and you grow and you can make um, different choices for the future. And while many people in our industry have been significantly um, impacted by negative interactions with law enforcement on behalf of this plant, it's also time for us to be doing some healing um, and to start bridging the gap between law enforcement and our industry. And I think that this gentleman who was at his day of work as a police officer and came to 
you know, aid of one of our comrades in our industry, um, that's a that's a sign of of a law enforcement officer recognizing us as a community member and wanting to um, do his job. Right. And so um, part of our job in building this this new wave of the industry is to find our pathway to building building bridges with people who have been um, on the opposite side of the fence with us for a very long time. Um, because when tragedies like this happen, the community needs to come together and not be pointing fingers and blaming. And And law enforcement someday will hopefully be able to step back and say, you know, no, these cannabis <laughs> business operators, they're great community members. They donate to charities. They support us. Um, they provide us camera footage when there's victims ha that have been um, victimized within the vicinity of their business to help us solve cases. We do that as a community. As business operators, most of us are incredibly ethical and want to improve where we live. <clears throat> and I think it's just time for us to really start bridging that gap and m help law enforcement see mm -hmm. the good in what we're doing, um, because there needs to stop being this us-them mentality. Um, yeah. And you know what? It, it, it's interesting that you say that because 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 I'm with you on that. And I think I think law enforcement needs need, needs to do that, too, because uh, in, in the chat, we have joined us. Uh, Keith Healy, he's the uh, he's the owner of Fig Farms and he actually has a full operation in Oakland. And he says, I've paid I've paid Oakland taxes. I've Oakland. Um, I paid I paid I've paid over two million in private security. The Oakland Police Union president calling for cannabis businesses to be closed is unfair. And he says the lack of police response has created this type of level of violence. What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, you know, cannabis businesses, I won't speak for, um, you know, all of them, right, or all of the operators, but many people feel like they're on an island and yeah. that, you know, law enforcement is not coming. And that is based on data. That is based on historical non-response. Um, and that's not a knock on law enforcement, but the, the fact of the matter is OPD specifically is incredibly uh, low in the amount of officers they have, in my opinion. Respectfully, I think the quality of police officer has uh, drastically fallen down. Um, I saw that in my career, and I can speak to that uh, as an expert because I was a field training officer. I, I completed daily observation reports with new recruits and you know, was, to some respect, like the gatekeeper to get into the department, although not making the final uh, decision, which was frustrating because there was folks that you know got into the department that I don't feel should have been. So there's, again, a whole bunch of layers to unpack here, and there's a whole bunch of different topics to sort of spin off of that I think are incredibly important and um, it's just a lot to unpack here. So I feel for, I, let me just say this too though, Mandy, I agree with everything you said and I think that it's a two way street. I think it's especially on law enforcement to come to the table. I think that mm -hmm. in my experience within the cannabis industry, operators are willing to uh, have dialogue with with cops, they're willing to show up and have meetings. They're willing to, you know, come to the table. Law enforcement is an incredibly encapsulated industry, and that's one of the frustrating parts that I found working within that cog. Um, I think it's important that you know law enforcement 
comes to the table is open-minded and understands that, listen, the, the world is changing. Laws are changing. These businesses are allowed to be here. Again, real quick example of that. I was a footbeat officer in San Francisco when a new dispensary opened up. I walked by, had nodded to the manager who had nodded back. I walked up, shook his hand, gave him my card and said, I, I kind of kick it over here. Most days, if you need anything, let me know. He's like, hey, you want to come in and check it out? I said, absolutely. You know, can I? He's like, I don't know. Can you? And I was like, I don't have a warrant. Like, we were just kind of teasing with each other. You know, he's like, come on in and check out my shop. Right. And you're you're a new retail business on a footbeat. You're on a piece of Market Street that I'm a footbeat officer. I leave that dispensary and my sergeant's in the middle of the, of the street in his parked car in, in park. And he calls me over and he says, stay out of those places. And I said, no, not only no, but if that's how you really feel, shoot me an email, Sarge. Shoot me an email, shoot me a text, something that I can see and hold up because you're going to make me stand at Gap the day after Thanksgiving all day long, you know, um, and it's ridiculous, you know, so there is a bias within law enforcement. Um, I'm not speaking for the industry as a whole, but, you know, these are just things that I think people eventually need to sit down and talk about. And I appreciate Mandy's uh, perspective, and I think it goes both ways. I think that law enforcement needs to come to the table. I, I'm not saying that they're not, but I've yet to meet a cannabis operator that's like, I want some help, but I'm unwilling to, you know, have the convo. I've never met that person. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, that... and ever since we had these rash of break-ins that started about three years ago, Oakland has been on the map as one of these primary targets. Mm -hmm. And we have covered stories like this. We've covered what happened to that uh, that uh, cannabis business owner in Santa Cruz recently. And since then, Grant Palmer down in Santa Cruz has also been hit. And so it, the loss of life is never justifiable. But this notion that this market has become a mecca for crime, for cannabis businesses, there is some culpability with the lack of robust responses in the past. And, and, and again, if we're not utilizing the tax resources from the, from the areas that do have clusters of cannabis businesses to staff those law enforcement to levels that will allow them to respond to their property crimes, that's a big misuse of those funds to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would just like to quickly add to, I think it's part, partly on, on the industry to um, understand that, you know, the, the circumstances are changing. Law enforcement's not showing up. So we can't continue to address security the way that we have the last 20 years. You know, we need to, uh, I'll just briefly say, we need to lean into technology. We need to be open to chasing a different carrot. We need to understand that, you know, the alarms, cameras, and guards are not necessarily the only answer out there. Um, and it's important to, you know, also from an industry perspective, you know, address and understand that the times are changing and that there's a better way to do things. Uh, and certainly understand that, you know, law enforcement may not, may not show up, period. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I, you know, I'll go ahead, Manny. I'm sorry. I want to talk. <laughs> go for it. I wanted to just also point out, though, um, that the city of Oakland and Emeryville, which is adjacent to Oakland, are like the top two most crime infected cities i think in the entire west coast but definitely in california per capita and that's a data from this year um wait, 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 what so two places are those mandy emory, I apologize I missed that. emoryville and emoryville. oakland emoryville and oakland they're, yeah. and they're right next to each other Oakland is right in there as well they're like i want to say those 
those three are like neck and neck with each other for the highest crime rates. Um, so it shouldn't be too much of a surprise that we're hearing about more of these instances coming out of Oakland. There's a high crime rate happening there already. I think a signing, a signing salary for um, anyone to join the Oakland PD is like $200,000. I mean, you're basically signing your life away, um, you know, but Jesus, like that's still, that's still lower middle class in San Fran. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway, uh, um, I, I decided I, I think, to push that out there because, I, I, I mean, that is the situation. It's probably one of the most dangerous cities in California. I feel like most. I, I feel like for 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 operators in the, that operate within the city of Oakland, they need to go to their city council and demand that the city council force the police department to treat cannabis businesses in their response time the exact same way that they would as an elevated response like a bank robbery. The city of West Hollywood has done that oh, since, yeah. it's, since, it's, since its inception, okay? And let me tell you something. When people have tried to break in during hours or even after hours, that, that people are getting caught, okay? There was one guy that got caught. I've seen law enforcement... I've seen law enforcement get dispatched out front of Planned Parenthood to make sure the picketers don't get too invasive. But like now we're talking about actual gun violence on site at these facilities that have lots of staff and lots of money and lots of product. And it's just I mean, it could be the same thing if you were a, a pharmaceutical company and somebody trying to target you, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, how often do pharmaceutical companies get get well, they, 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 they don't they don't because they take insurance and that's a no no cash transaction past safe banking. Hey, Nico. hey Chris, Chris, is there yeah, a way that drugs are worth a lot? Is is there a way that you know police can be incentivized for? I mean, legally incentivized for good behavior. If we're actually uh, uh, responding to stuff and like, like doing a great job, like um, I, I know, like in the you know the mainstream world of capitalism, you know, in sales, like you have incentives, you know, uh, for doing a great job. Like, is there any way that we can like act legally without you know pushing favoritism one way or the other? Incentivize well, cops. They like, do. They being, measure you know, response good. time to calls, and so there there is there are metrics from a public policy perspective. And so the question I think for Oakland isn't what's the response time, it's are the responses commensurate with the threat and have the responses been such that they extinguish the incentive for these professionals to continue to hit these locations in Oakland. Mm -hmm. Sure, and, and it is categorized by threat. And that's what, I, that's what I mean about leaning into technology. Currently, I'd say that most operators today, um, you know, wake up in the middle of the night with an alarm call, right? From, from some dispatch center somewhere, and then they're on their phone looking at their cameras. And that's, that's the typical way that I think a lot of operators that I hear about um, get woken up in the middle of the night if their facility's targeted. And those calls are categorized at, as priority three or a C, uh, A or a one being the top priority. And so it's important to, again, I think, lean into technology to decrease police response times uh, in, in parallel to that, being able to provide real-time data, uh, and that in and of itself will, I think, um, categorize calls to a degree that are uh, higher priority. But in addition to that, that'll uh, directly decrease police response times. And you know, I think a lot of, at least the, you know, speaking to my clients, they just want the cops to show up, right? Cherries and berries. They want lights and sirens. 
Um, they want to keep the offenders on the outside of the facilities, period. And there's a way to do that. And so I think it is important, though, to, to – and this is not an excuse for law enforcement, but ca calls are categorized by threat level based on the information. And typically, cannabis facilities are relying on alarm systems to get that call out, and that will typically be a low-priority call. Exactly. Did you just say cherries and berries? Cherries and I'm cherries, bro. Cherries and berries. Yep. I'm thinking cherries and berries. I don't even know what cherries and berries are. What? Where? Where did this term come up? Help me. It's, 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 it's one of those. young to know. We can't tell you yet. It's just one of those yeah, twelve Yaro. special inside you, twelve comments. You know what I mean? You and your Gen Z cohorts, Yaro. Chris, I have, I have, I have one more, one more like serious question in in regards with this. And I just wonder how much of this has to do with at the same time. And I don't want to come across as being against criminal justice reform because I'm not. Um, and, and, but, but the reality of is that some of these policies that have been put in place as far as uh, not prosecuting people for these what they call small crimes or whatnot has led to a lot of this. All right. So for a commercial building, breaking into a commercial building in the state of California, do you know what do you know what happens if you get caught for the first time? You don't even go to jail. You don't even go to jail. OK, you get informal probation. I don't even think you go to jail until the third time that you get caught. And after the sixth time is when you do up to a county year. And now this, this is the stuff that has to change within the policies because otherwise it's a known thing on the streets that you can just go and rob any commercial business and there's zero, basically zero punishment because look, you can go ahead 10, 20 spaces and if you don't get caught, you're, you're, you're winning. Well, Jason, the reason why I'm against those, you know, harsher punishments and everything like that, man, because you, you take a step back and look at the broader data like black and brown communities get hit the hardest period you know you're gonna have more black and brown people in jail for like 10 20 years for breaking into a commercial building so i think it while we do need i, to I, have, I don't have a problem with people getting 10 or 20 years need for to have breaking firmer in commercial penalties. Businesses. yeah i think we should have firmer penalties but on the flip side of that this is indicative of a greater problem when it comes to the economy these people do not right. that are doing these crimes do not have opportunity to make money to actually survive in these in these places let Period. me tell you something bro. the people gonna, that the people so that are doing do? the people that are the, doing these crimes are trained professionals who are highly highly trained in this okay it's not just they're, like, they're trained it's, at it's the, not just they're, they're like it's not, hold on it's not just like at, the kids, at this point where they, second, where they get started from though it's not just like the kids that run into cvs and steal and steal stuff whatever they can grab okay that's a totally different totally different type of thing and that goes into more where do they get started about huh? they have to start somewhere right how do they get how do they get recruited into that cohort because they didn't have opportunities mm-hmm Hey, I mean, I'm not. It could be that. It could be they didn't have dads. It could be a lot of different things. You can't just attribute it to one thing. Well, that's what that's what I'm saying. It has to be a. It has to be a multi-pronged uh, um, um, action taken by the community. You can't me, just. Me, you can't just have like hard, harsher penalties. You have to have more opportunities for the people. And the right. I, I, I agree with more opportunities, but you got to have harsher penalties. I'm all. Let I'm me, all for more opportunities in communities. I'm all for that. But there have to be real consequences for real crime. Let me frame this for a second. Jason, I think what you're touching upon is this notion that because we have deprioritized law enforcement and consequence 
for property crimes in especially in California mm-hmm. that there we, we've gone away from a culture of accountability exactly and 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 I don't disagree with you and I think what Rico is trying to say is that while the laws on the books seem fair and equitable the disproportionate enforcement of some of these crimes or these property theft enforcement uh, enforcement against those crimes has still meant that these things are being born on the backs of the poorest and often blackest and proudest communities, right? And so you've got these two separate things that aren't necessarily contradictory. And so Oakland has had issues before it had cannabis theft. And Oakland law enforcement respectfully has had issues before it had under-responsiveness to cannabis crimes in the last three years, which mm-hmm. we cannot say is entirely attributable specifically to Oakland. And I do not mean this as a disrespect to any of our men and women in blue or to the Oakland Police Department, but if you do your research on that organization itself, there's a reason why it was under federal receivership, and it is not exactly an organization that can say it has clean hands in the way that it has operated as an organization and the way in which it is interacted with the constituents it was tasked with policing. So there's a lot of room for improvement on a lot of different levels. And what Rico is trying to say is that the young men and women who tend to become these professional thieves, they start somewhere. And that starting somewhere, if we if we separate this conversation from poverty and the wealth gap in this country, then we are losing sight of the bigger picture, which is that people who have opportunity don't tend to rip and run and create crime. It doesn't mean that the crime is justifiable, but it does mean that there is a deeper societal issue and people are not necessarily given the opportunity to improve themselves. And it's not an, it's not a level playing field in that respect. Right on. Great comment. Great comment, Yaro. Absolutely. It's a great conversation, though, man. And I know we're way over time, but it's a great way to start. With these good conversations on our team, it's a great way to start the new year, man. So thank mm-hmm. you guys for all your comments there from all angles. You know, this is what the cannabis industry is all about. You know, you know, right, left, center, outside of everything. You know, dads, moms. Mm-hmm. I try to get her yeah, to get, not be pushing my him buttons Zozo. over here. Get yeah. him, Zozo. <laughs> yeah. This is why she's usually not on the show. But just push mute, Zozo. You want to say happy new year? <laughs> 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 but thank you all for joining us for another episode, the first of 2024 for High9 News. You can catch us live weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fan showing love. Getting their comments posted live on the big screen. You want to say something? What do you want to say? Happy New Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Happy New Christmas, too. Yeah. I'm and Kwanzaa? Merry Christmas, <laughs> Yeah, big shout out to our uh, vetted correspondents tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety, perspective, and your respected opinions to the table. To our production team, Cloud Media Partners, our sponsors, keeping the lights on, our AV struggles to a minimum, and Happy New Year to you, Adam, back there, doing the damn thing with your feathered hair. <laughs> <laughs> brushes yeah <laughs> all right so as always cannabis diva l the reason we show up to read these stories every single day thank you too it has been monday january 1st come your mouth come your mouth <laughs> gotta teach these kids man you gotta teach 2024. these kids 2024 <laughs> breaking in the yeah. new year 
The show's over. We've all been blessed with the top industry headlines. Hope is enough for you to put your pipe and smoke at least until tomorrow. Chris Eggers, you got the outro today, man. Start us off with something fresh. Sure, sweet, man. Be kind to one another. Appreciate you guys. Yes. The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shades are on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us.